afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Rob Port here on, uh, that's Money Waters. That'll let Money Waters play a little bit. Good afternoon, Atil. It is a good afternoon. He it likes the blues? Warm out. It is. I was, I was more just really excited about how warm it is outside. It is nice. It is oh, nice. Oh, I missed it. I missed feeling like, you know, I can walk outside and the air doesn't immediately hurt my face. Right. It doesn't feel like like the outside is like attacking you. Exactly. Right? <laughs> you walk out and it's like you get punched in the face by the cold. Or just like constantly being bitten or whatever. It's it's nasty yeah. when it's cold out there. It is. It is. So it's it's nice that it's up. It's nice on my on my heating bill. That's nice. Yes. The house we live in is so weird. We have we have two furnaces. Two furnaces. It, I mean it's I mean it's not like a it's not like a mansion, right? I mean we have it's just an old house that was added on to a bunch of times. So we have two furnaces. Then we have like two bedrooms and a family room that are heated by electric baseboard heat. And so I'm getting used to, especially with that cold snap, having to, uh, our electric bill was a little out of control <laughs> this last one. Cause those, we got to figure out how to run those baseboard heaters a little bit. But anyway, that's why we like living in North Dakota, right? The weather's a challenge. We wouldn't want it to be easy. Like those, those wimps in San Diego have it, right? We like to, we like to work at it a little bit. We like to be challenged by the weather. I don't know. I'm just making stuff up now. 701-293-9000, Those are your numbers. Email talk at WDAY.com. We're going to have on State Representative Daniel Johnston to talk about uh, his legislation, which would require, and, and certainly this is not, you know, a new proposal. We've seen it in North Dakota before. Uh, we've seen it from... We've seen it in other states before. You know, it's always made a lot of news when it comes up, uh, but it's drug testing for welfare recipients. But this one's got a little bit of a twist. There's a little bit more emphasis on getting people treatment and a little bit less emphasis on removing benefits. And I, I wonder if that might not placate some of the fears people have about this type of legislation because on on one hand i do think they i do think it's in the public's interest to have some accountability for people who are on these programs if you have enough money to be out buying drugs and getting high then do you really need the public's assistance um but on the flip side you know wouldn't it be better if we could maybe move some of those people into treatment and, and help them solve that problem and then give them the benefits and then maybe hopefully restore them into society as you know, gainfully employed, upstanding citizens, you know, I mean, that's the goal. So I don't know. It's it's interesting. There's some nuances to that bill. We could talk about it certainly a little bit later in the program. Uh, also, some breaking news on the blog this afternoon, sitting uh, Public Service Commissioner Brian Kalk is uh, he's applied for a job at the EERC, that's Energy and Environmental Research Center at the University of North Dakota. Uh, I spoke with him this afternoon. I've been hearing rumors uh, that he was thinking about maybe leaving. Uh, Congress or, uh, Commissioner uh, Kalk's term ends in 2020. It's a six-year term. There's three public service commissioners, and they serve staggered six-year terms. So every two-year cycle, uh, one of the three is up for re-election. Um, Kalk was last elected in 2014. That means he's not up again until 2020. Uh, he said he applied. He's been through two rounds of interviews at the EERC. Uh, he says they've made him a soft offer. He expects them to make him a, a, a hard offer. He says that he would accept the offer, uh, at which point he would immediately resign his position. Now, for 
state government and politics, what that means is that our new governor, Doug Burgum, would have his first opportunity to appoint somebody uh, to that office. Uh, and the way that works, we, we saw it with uh, Congressman Kevin Kramer. He was on the Public Service Commission before he went to Congress. Uh, when he was elected, uh, Commissioner Julie Fedorchak was appointed to fill his unexpired term. Now, uh, Fedorchak, though, had to be that that appointment had to be confirmed on the 2014 ballot. Um, and then she was reelected at the end of that term in just this last election cycle, 2016. So if, if Kalk does end up leaving the PSC, that would happen with him as well, where he would, um, whoever Bergam appointed to fill the rest of that term uh, would be reelected. They would have to be reelected in 20. It, the, the appointment would have to be confirmed in 2018. And, and you know, there could be candidates certainly run, run against whoever that person is. Uh, and then that person would need to, and I'm saying he, it could be he or she, obviously. Um, that person would run again at the end of Kalk's uh, unexpired term in 2020. So some interesting happenings at the Public Service Commission, a little bit of a little bit of a shakeup there. Um, you know, I don't I don't know if it's really going to change anything, though, in terms of public policy. I mean, obviously, I think Bergham would, would appoint somebody. Um, you know, I suppose the speculation is going to open now in political circles about who might get appointed to replace him. Um, and I don't know. Um, at the top, I, I just just thinking back of people who have run for PSC in the past. I remember uh, in 2012, uh, Randy Chrisman and State Representative Blair Thorson uh, squared off against one another uh, for, for the NDGOP nomination. Obviously, Chrisman won and uh, went on to went on to win election to that office. But I got to think Thorson would be somebody who you know Bergen might consider he'd be on the list i would think but who knows we have a new governor and it'll be interesting to see what happens with that and obviously Kalk hasn't even taken the job yet though so we don't know if there's going to be an opening anything anyway interesting things afoot 701-293-9000-888-970-9329 meanwhile uh activity continues down in bismarck with the legislature uh new bill i guess that the bill just recently filed a couple of them i wanted to uh, run by you listeners one um, would raise the age at which people could buy tobacco, and, and not just tobacco products, cigarettes, chew, stuff like that, but also vaping products would raise that age. Currently, in law, it says that those products may not be sold to or used by minors. The legislation, and I put the full bill up at sayanythingblog.com if you want to read it, the legislation crosses minors out and replaces it with this language, an individual under 19 years of age. And, and to me, that change in the law is very telling because a, a minor is, is obviously, we know what that is. That's a, that's a defined term in the law. A minor is somebody under the age of 18, right? That's, you know, deciding when adulthood happens is always a, a tricky thing, right? And some kids mature faster than others. Uh, so you kind of have to, you kind of have to, uh, draw a line there and, you know, we draw it at 18. This legislation would draw that line at 19. So 19 years of age is when, if this bill passed, you would be able to buy not just tobacco products, but vaping products. What do you think? Is that good legislation? 
Um, I don't think it is for, for a number of reasons. I mean, first, it's not 1952 anymore, right? I mean, this isn't a situation where Reader's Digest just comes out with that famous article, Cancer by the Carton, and, you know, nobody was really aware of the link between tobacco use and cancer or other, you know, health issues, right? I mean, this is 2017. I, I think knowledge that smoking is bad for you, that smoking can lead to cancer, has saturated our society. At this point, if we have adults and people over the age of 18 are adults, they can serve in the military, they can vote for people, you know, for elected office. If adults are making that decision to smoke, despite knowing that it's bad for them, that it could give them cancer, then that is just a decision that adults are making. And we ought to stop regulating it. And, and you know what? I would like to hear from law enforcement. You know, frankly, it's it's probably a little bit of a pain to, to enforce, not that I'm against the ban, but it's probably, it's, it's, it's they're not all that effective at, at enforcing the ban on kids buying tobacco and using tobacco. There's kids that are able to smoke all the time. It happens, you drive around downtown Minot here, I, I know, near the high school, uh, you can see kids down the alleys or whatever smoking cigarettes. It's not great, it happens, I wish they wouldn't, but they're doing it, so now we're going to, I mean, it's, it's hard enough to enforce that for kids, so now we're going to try to enforce the ban for adults, ages 18 to 19. Is is that really the way that we want to use our taxpayer resources? By the way, the legislation sponsored by State Representative Pamela Anderson, Democrat from Fargo, uh, and it's uh, mostly other Democrats on in the bill sponsors. I think there's one Republican, but the rest of them, I believe, are uh, no two Republicans, it looks like. Two Republicans, but mostly Democrats on the bill. Prime sponsor, Representative Pamela Anderson from Fargo. What do you think? A good idea? Do we need to raise the smoking age to 19? I'd love to hear from you. 701-293-9000, Email me, talk at WDAY.com. We'll be back after this. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Port, 701-299-888-970-9329. What do you think, Natil? Should we raise the, uh, I guess, the smoking age, smoking slash vaping age to 19? No. How yeah. stupid is this legislation? I mean, I'm not calling it a waste of time, but I am calling it stupid. It is It is a bad bill, yeah. I, I You know, if, if, if Representative Anderson wants to, wants to put it in, you know, more power to her. But yeah, I mean, it's bad public policy. And and listen, we got to pick an age at which kids become adults. And 18 is the age we've picked. It's it's not perfect, but I, I don't know what you did. It's probably the best we're going to get. That's where we've drawn the line in the sand. When you're 18, you can serve your country in the military. You can vote. You can do all that stuff. I don't understand why you can't have a cigarette. Frankly, I think we ought to raise the drink. I, we ought to lower the drinking age, too. I've always felt 21 is too high. Maybe that, maybe people think that's crazy, but... I don't know. I, if, if you're going to say somebody's an adult, then they're an adult. 
Yeah, I just we I feel like I feel like it should all be the same. And if yeah. you want the drinking age to be 21, then everything should be 21. If you want the smoking age to be 18, then everything should be 18. I it agree. just it doesn't make any sense to essentially treat a child as an adult but then only dole out small bits of that adulthood over the next four years. Exactly. Yeah, I agree with that. And what also tires me about this is is the way we keep lumping vaping in with smoking. Now, the existing law says no tobacco products, no vaping for anyone under the age of 18, which, fine. Um, What I don't like, though is that when we're, we're, we're instituting these bans and these regulations or whatever, we're treating vaping like smoking. And, and vaping is not the same thing as smoking. I mean, to, to me, they're, they're two completely different things. Um, it's, it's The nicotine in vaping may derive from tobacco originally, but it's something different. And that's like saying that we should regulate cheese, you know, you know that, that cheese is the same as yogurt because they're both dairy products. Uh, yogurt's a dairy product, right? I don't know that much about yogurt. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a dairy product. Okay. It's a dairy All right, fine. Looks like a dairy product. I just assumed. Uh, yeah, I mean, cheese and yogurt are, I mean, obviously, they're both derived from the same sort of central ag- ingredient, but they're not the same thing. And, you know, it's, it's so smoking and vaping are not the same thing. So stop, stop treating them like they're the same thing. You know, I, especially when vaping is a healthier alternative to smoking. We should want people... To vape, and it seems to me that there are these sort of anti-tobacco nincompoops, right? I mean, just just zealots who want to treat vaping like smoking because they look the same. I I, I think that's, I think that's, I mean, uh, you know, a lot of the the vaping they look like cigarettes, right? So, and obviously it's a nicotine delivery system, but I don't know. I mean, it seems to me if you, if you take burning tobacco out of the mix. Using nicotine really isn't all that different than, say, using caffeine, right? And we don't we don't regulate caffeine then. So I don't I don't know. Maybe there's more we need to learn about vaping, but you know, at the very least, let's not treat the two the same. Um, another bill before the uh, the legislative session would limit the number of bills a lawmaker could introduce. What do you think about that one, Natil? Should we should we limit how many bills they can they can put in each session? Uh, that's that's a tough one because North Dakota has for so long wanted to be a, a completely open process. Right. And if you start limiting the amount of bills that can be presented, then that that no longer portrays an open, a fully open process. At the same time, North Dakota wanting a part-time legislature makes that, makes it difficult to address every bill that comes up. If, that yeah. There's always this time crunch. And so maybe we can't have it both ways and a decision needs to be made. And maybe this bill is the way that decision gets made. So so what the bill would do, and it's it, the prime sponsor is State Senator Tom Campbell from Grafton. It's Senate Bill 2255. Uh, it says a member of the Legislative Assembly may introduce no more than seven bills during each regular legislative session unless the Legislative Assembly, by joint rule, provides a process to authorize the introduction of additional bills. Currently, they can introduce all the bills they want, but there are deadlines. Um, Monday, there were two deadlines for the house. Uh, it was a, you know, total deadline that they can't introduce any more bills, uh, for the Senate. It was a deadline. They can't, after that deadline, they can't, uh, introduce any more than three more bills 
until this coming Monday. And then after that, any bills in either chamber have to be introduced through what's called the Delayed Bills Committee. And basically that committee decides whether or not a bill is important enough to be introduced after the deadline. And that happens very rarely. Not not very many bills at all get through there. And there has to be a good reason. Like, you know, uh, I, I, I think in the past there was a bill bills to address like spring flooding. You right, like like the flooding situation got out of control, so they they brought some bills and delay through the delayed bills committee to address that. So there's got to be some reason. Uh, but outside of those deadlines, legislators can introduce as many bills as they want, and you know I I think we're okay with it. I mean, obviously, yeah, we have a constrained legislative session; they only have so much time. But we've been dealing with that for a while now. The lawmakers already put some pressure on each other. Uh, to not introduce a whole bunch of bills, a, a lawmaker who gets carried away putting in too many bills or too many frivolous bills uh, is, is going to have a hard time finding other lawmakers to support those bills. So I, I think there's already sort of an organic cap that the lawmakers put in place. I, I know there's people out there who sort of, you know, adhere to that maxim about nobody's life, liberty, or property being safe when the legislature's in session. And as far as they're concerned, the less the legislature does, the better. And I'm not sure I agree. You know, we elect these people for a reason. If you think they're putting in too many silly bills, let them know or elect somebody else. But, you know, at the end of the day, if you elect legislators, then you got to let them legislate. Anyway, more to come. We're going to talk about some legislation introduced by Daniel Johnston regarding drug testing for welfare recipients. We'll get you the the scoop on that. More to come straight ahead. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Port, here on WDAY, 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. We uh, hopefully get to have on uh, Representative Daniel Johnston uh, from District 24, the Valley City area. Um, hopefully have him on the program here about his legislation uh, for drug testing for welfare recipients. Uh, but I just I just checked the uh, House session. looks like it's got a little bit long. Uh, which, boy, the timing of our show is not optimal for interviewing some of these lawmakers because they have their floor sessions uh, starting at 1 o'clock every day, and it's, I don't know. We're going to have to figure it out and uh, figure out the scheduling on this. But hopefully uh, if their session gets over here pretty quick, we will uh, we will get him on uh, the show to discuss it. But in the meantime, we can discuss the legislation. It's House Bill 1308. And, uh, again, the idea of requiring drug testing for welfare recipients is is it's it's not a new idea. Uh, it's been tried in other states. It's been proposed in our state before, um, and people usually have a lot of problems with it. And one problem people have is is they don't think if if somebody has a substance abuse problem, they're not sure that you know, pulling public assistance benefits is the best way to help them, right? Because that should be our goal is to try to help people and restore them to being productive members of society. So there's that. Um, 
there's also concern about what happens if if a parent who is abusing substances loses their their benefits and then you know what happens to the kids the kids just go without food um th- these are valid concerns and, and so what i liked about representative johnston's legislation uh is that it doesn't just immediately pull the pull the benefits here's here's what it does if you are it would require the development of a drug testing program uh and then the first step though is that if you tested positive for drugs you would get referred to a treatment program right you wouldn't necessarily lose your benefits you would get referred to a treatment program now if you ref- if you refuse the treatment program then you lose your benefits for a year but if you accept the treatment program you go you get into treatment um, you do have to pay for the treatment out of your own pocket but you you get into treatment and after a year the the treatment program is supposed to last for a year after a year if you test positive again then you lose your benefits for six months uh, if somebody who has been previously disqualified for benefits if they test positive again uh, they would lose benefits for a year um, also interesting is that if in a two-parent household only one parent could be drug tested uh, also a positive test for a parent would not impact benefits for the children rather a protective payee uh, would be designated to receive benefits on behalf of, of the kids so I don't like a grandparent or something like that I suppose um, and I and I don't know. I, I I wonder if this isn't an approach that could turn some people's heads. Because on one hand, I like I like the idea of accountability for for people who are on these programs. Again, I think it's very difficult to understand how somebody who has money for drugs can turn around and you know continue to collect public you know public assistance. I think that's that's very difficult to understand. That being said, the goal of the program is to help people, right? And so I, I wonder if maybe this legislation shouldn't be thought of as not so much as a way to deny people benefits, right, but as a way to identify people who need help and steer them towards addiction counseling or, or steer them towards treatment programs that can help them because listen somebody who is on welfare right somebody who is at the point where they're but when i'm saying welfare it's the assistance for needy families you know tanf um that's the acronym it's it's welfare um if somebody's already on that program they're clearly already in a situation where they need help so are we helping them by pulling their benefits if they if they test positive. And you know, I think no. Now, if 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 they test positive and then they refuse treatment, well then okay. You know, now it's it's somebody who is they don't want to be helped. But if they test positive and now you're giving them an avenue to get into a treatment program, I wonder if that's not good policy. Right? I I, I think the more people that we could catch and get into treatment programs and maybe even, you know, could this could this be something that has an impact on some of the other pressing problems in our state, such as 
jail and prison overcrowding, right? Where we're arresting a lot of people, we're putting a lot of people in jail, and our prison populations are growing. If we were able to catch some of these people earlier, right? Because a lot of times crimes are born of economic necessity. So you're on welfare, you got a substance abuse problem. That's a situation for somebody to go out and maybe start considering crime as a way to, to keep making ends meet. Maybe if, if we could catch them and identify that problem and, and give them the impetus to get into a program and to get well, if it's not going to work all the time, maybe it could at least reduce the number of people who fall to the point where they feel like they need to commit a crime to continue going. What do you think? 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. If, 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 if you want to join in, email me, talk at WDAY.com. What do you think? What do you think of this? I mean, this is, I, I know a lot of people. It, it's become sort of a sort of a, a partisan issue where people just sort of have a knee-jerk response to this sort of proposal. But to me, there are there are nuances in this bill that I haven't seen in similar proposals in the past, and I'm wondering if it's something that could maybe turn people's heads on this a little bit. The the nuances in this particular bill make it something that I can stomach. I don't normally like the idea of denying someone who needs benefits access to those benefits, especially uh, punishing, you know, children for choices, bad choices that a parent is making. Right. But it seems like there are there are some opportunities here to get people that need help that sort of help. Right. I mean, at at the end of the day, we're going to have to accept that some people are just going to lead reckless irresponsible lives um no amount of government policy is going to change that i mean some people are going to choose meth or heroin or drinking or whatever over leading a productive life and no amount of public policy could change that but maybe this is another safety net maybe maybe the safety net's the wrong maybe this is another um another bucket that or that we could catch people in and, and, and another way, another lever we can use to maybe steer people towards the right track of sobriety and prosperity. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Let's get to some calls. Dean, you're up first. What's going on? Uh, I think I, I like that idea, actually, about, you know, trying to, to steer people that need the help in there. But, you know, using welfare recipients as the only criteria, to me, that gets a little bit iffy. I mean, they're not the only people getting government money. Are we going to drug test uh, corporations that we give tax cuts to because they're getting government money? What if they're on drugs? That ta- kind of ta- stuff. Well, well, that well, would be on, my only problem, I guess. A, well, a, a tax cut is not people getting government money. A tax cut is you getting to keep more of your own money. All right, That's, government subsidies. It's not a subsidy. A tax cut is not well, a subsidy. That's what I'm saying. Instead of the tax cut, a government subsidy. Somebody's getting money from sure. the government. Okay. What if they're taking drugs? Why are we only doing it to welfare recipients? That's my only question. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of government programs we could apply this to. I don't know why just TANF. Um, that's a good question. Thanks for the call, Dean. Appreciate it. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Corey, you're up next. You know, Rob, I guess I'm almost not not quite to the same point as your uh, last caller. Um, I don't believe that the system that 
has been implemented in other states has really worked or has been shown to be that effective, I should say. Um, I, I think this idea that welfare recipients or poor people are vastly more on drugs than the rest of the population, I think, is a little bit of a misnomer. Um, and I do think that there is a case to be made that, hey, if you test because, okay, you're getting cancer SNAP benefits or other benefits where you have a negative income tax, basically, paying in, it's, it's only slightly different than someone getting an earned income tax credit, but they're still technically paying in, or if they um, um, get child tax credits, too. I, I, I don't really like this idea at all, because I just don't think it's the money, it saves a lot of money, period. Yeah. Personally. Well, I, 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 I and I'm, I'm not sure, I'm, to, to me, to me, I think looking at this as a way to save money is the wrong way to look at it. It's it's the same, you know, if we look at it this, this as a mechanism to kick people off benefits, I think that's the wrong. To me, I look at it as a way to steer people who maybe need help into getting help. And, and I don't, and also, I understand, you know, oh, well, we're assuming that everybody on welfare has a, has a substance abuse problem. I don't think that's fair. But many people who are in that situation do have a substance abuse problem. And usually the, well, the two problems go hand in hand. There are a lot of people who are poor because they're abusing drugs, they're abusing alcohol, and that's having an impact on their economic situation. Now, that's not everybody, but if we can detect some, detect some and get those people into a treatment program and use benefits as leverage to get them sober, that seems like a win. Well... I, I know where you're leading with that, and I'd be all for reformation of our drug laws, and instead of uh, pouring money into police departments yeah. to catch someone That's a whole with a quarter debate. ounce or, or something of weed, and we put it into rehab instead. I'm all for sure. that. I just don't think it's... I think this could be a part of that puzzle. Because... As Using drugs instead. Yeah, I mean, because what what you're talking about is is larger sort of criminal justice war on drugs reform, and part of me wonders if this isn't part of that puzzle. You know, not part of that puzzle. I I would be I'd be more for it, uh, but yeah, because I don't I I don't I don't think anybody wants it. This isn't the silver bullet, you know, to to cure our problems or whatever. To me, I I just just, out there who have the opinion that that most that welfare recipients are vastly well, sure, More and they can if they can the have that opinion. The they can have that opinion, but this is policy. I wonder if is if it's not a way. You know, maybe some people are going to look at this and say, "Well, let's get all the drug users off welfare." Um, maybe that's their attitude about it, but I think that's the wrong way to look at it. To me, this is looking at somebody who is already in a dire economic situation. Oh well, now we can detect the fact that they also have a substance abuse problem and steer them towards help and use the benefits as leverage. That's, I guess that's how I'm looking at it, but we can have a debate. Corey, thanks for your call. I, I got to go to a break. 701-293-9000, We'll be back. Don't go away. Welcome back. Rob Port, just a few minutes left here of the Rob Report. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329 if you want to join the program. Email talk at WDAY.com. You know, I, 
I, I sort of ranted before, and I got some, I got some, uh, some people sort of angry in, in response to it. But you know, I people talking about waste of time legislation, right? And I, I hate it when people, oh, that's a waste of time. You know, don't even. Why are they even doing that? And uh, listen, the legislative process exists to throw around ideas like this, right? Somebody gets an idea, like somebody sees a problem and they think they have a solution to the problem. So they introduce a bill aimed at addressing that problem. And maybe there's all sorts of side effects or unexpected whatever's uh, to that bill, uh, you know, but it could be amended. Maybe it could be approved or maybe we could have a debate about it and realize that, okay, you know what? That's just not a good idea, but that's what the legislative process is for. And that's why I think it's dangerous to say, ah, oh, that's a waste of time. And that it's not, you know, it's a beautiful process, really. Uh, let's see. you got a caller, Marnie. Welcome to the program, Marnie. What's up? Hi, Rob. Thanks so much for taking my call. I was calling about um, your topic before the break on um, welfare and revoking it on the basis yeah. of someone using drugs. And well, not, not, not necessarily revoking it right away. The, the first step would be to put them in a, in a treatment program. Yeah, well, the problem with that is you can only get temporary assistance for needy families if you're part of a needy family, meaning there are children, minor children involved. So where are you going to put them? Are you going to put them in the drug rehab too? Um, and the, um, and the well, second we already we already well, have we already have we already have you know mechanisms in place for that. If somebody goes off to you know to drug treatment, and I'm I'm sorry we don't have more time, Marty, but we already have you know like child protective services and situations like that where if a parent has an abuse problem that is so profound that they can no longer care for their children. We already have mechanisms in place for that. As for benefits for those children, the law would actually, the, the bill, the proposed bill, would actually allow somebody to be designated to accept benefits on behalf of those children. So the children could still get their benefits. So I, I think that concern is accounted for in the law. I wish we had more time to discuss it, Marnie, though, but we're at the end of the show. Jay Thomas Show coming up next. Congressman Kevin Kramer is going to be on with Jay, so stay tuned for that. Remember, you can catch me here. Monday through Friday, 1 to 2 p.m. on WDAY, or 24 hours a day, seven days a week at SayAnything blog.com. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again.